0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I invite you to take your copies of Scripture. Let's open together again to the sixth chapter of Luke. We have, Lord willing, one more Sunday in this chapter. We come today to the 39th verse, the title of the message is Spiritual Discernment. Spiritual Discernment is a topic that I'm very passionate about as a pastor. Spiritual Discernment is the ability to distinguish truth from error. Last week we talked about our worldview, how we interpret what's going on in the world through the lens of the Bible and through the lens of Christianity. Well, spiritual discernment is really the product of our worldview. We determine and put into categories those things that are good and right and beautiful and those things that are ungodly and evil and to be rejected. And I really believe that one of the great scandals of the modern church movement is the seeming inability of many professing Christians to distinguish truth from error. Now, spiritual discernment is different than common sense. And you do know that common sense is not near as common as it used to be. But spiritual discernment is not as common as it used to be either. I think there are a number of root causes. First and foremost is biblical illiteracy. The fact that so many people do not read or study their Bible regularly outside of going to church occasionally. So people don't know what God's Word says. If you don't know what God's Word says, you cannot hope to know what God's will is because it's in the Bible where God reveals His Word primarily. And we could blame that on a number of things. We can say, well, it's spiritual laziness. I don't know anyone who had, does not have access in our culture to the Bible. There are free copies everywhere. We had some of our Gideon men give away over 3,000 Bibles last weekend. And so, if you want a Bible, you can have one. Um, reminds us of, of the Bereans there in the book of Acts that Paul commended Because they didn't take everything Paul said at face value. They went home and they studied the scriptures to make sure what they were being taught was true. And when they found it was true, then they followed it. We're to be good Bereans. We're to hold up what's being taught from this pulpit and from others to the Word of God. But I think the ultimate reason is failure of church leaders. It's the same problem that Jesus faced in His day among the spiritual leaders or those claiming to be speaking for God was their unwillingness to obey the truth and their unwillingness to teach the truth to others. For that reason, Jesus reserved His harshest criticisms for the religious leaders of His day, a group of people called the Pharisees. Listen to some of the things. This is just a sample platter of things Jesus said about to the Pharisees. Matthew 23, woe unto you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, neither do you allow them to go in. Matthew twenty three, twenty four, you are blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Matthew fifteen, fourteen, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. Luke twenty, forty six. Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplace, the best seat in the synagogue, and the best places at feast, but they devour widows' houses. Luke 12, 1, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And this section of Luke 6 that I'm about to read, Jesus is instructing His disciples, those people claiming to be followers of His, to be sure, to be discerning when deciding which religious leaders to follow. Now, you recall here at the Sermon on the Mount, there were four groups of people that are identified at the beginning of Luke 6. There are the Apostles, Jesus had just called these 12 men out of the larger group of disciples to lead the church. There are the disciples, which was the large group of those claiming to be followers of Christ. Then there's a group of people called the crowd or the multitudes. They're just showing up to see what's going on. And then there's the Pharisees. Because everywhere Jesus went, the Pharisees followed him to try to catch him in a sin or in a fault, and of course they never did. And that context is crucial in understanding the meaning of these verses. And by the way, Context is critical and crucial in understanding any passage of Scripture. That's why we study verse by verse through the Bible. To to try to carve and wrestle out a couple of verses every week out of context does none of us any good because what we tend to do is to teach our own opinions. We have an opinion we'd like to share and so we find a verse or two in the Bible that sort of matches what we want to say. That's not the way the Bible was meant to be studied. So let's look at Luke 6, 39, speaking of Jesus. And He also spake a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck which is in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Now Jesus is teaching His disciples the difference between the way He's teaching and parsing and instructing about the Word of God and the way the hypocritical leaders, the Pharisees, teach. And He does so in four ways. First of all, with a parable. Look at verse 39. He also spoke a parable to them, a blind man cannot guide, a blind man can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now we generally think of parables as a long and complicated story with interesting characters and metaphors, but here's a parable that's only two sentences long, but it communicates a great deal. He says, a blind man cannot lead other people or else they both fall into a pit, I can remember when I was a boy, we often would have guest preachers and musicians in our home. And one that I always looked forward to having was a gentleman who was totally blind. He was from here in Texas. And from the second day of life, he has been totally blind. And we would pick him up at the bus station because he didn't fly. He would come by Greyhound bus and my dad and I would pick him up in the car. And I always got ready because he always made the same request every year can I drive?" <laughs> and it was a big joke among us because even as a child I knew that was a very bad idea. For the reason Jesus said, a blind man cannot lead another blind man. They all fall into a pit, in this case we'd all get into a wreck. We had a dear saintly woman here some years ago, she's with the Lord now. She lived to be 99 and up until the time she was 98 she drove everywhere she went. And I would inquire every Sunday on her health, And she would say, well, I can't see and I can't hear, but praise the Lord, I can still drive. (laughs) And as we get older, we sometimes, you know, joke about losing our ability to see or hear. That's not what Jesus was talking about. In the ancient world, and really in many parts of the world today, blindness is very common. Simple bacterial infections that are treated easily in our culture where there's the absence of those medicines lead often to blindness. And so there was blindness everywhere. And there was danger everywhere for blind people because people stored their water usually by digging a cistern which is just a hole in the ground. Many times those weren't covered and it was not uncommon at all for people to lose their life falling into a pit. And so this ridiculous image of a blind person saying to another group of blind people, follow me. He says what's going to happen is you're all going to fall in the pit. Now who's he talking about? I think obviously, and through the context of other scriptures where he said similar things, he's talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are saying, follow us. But Jesus says, they're blind. And don't follow a person's blind if you don't want to fall into the pit. And by the way, I think he used the word pit very purposefully. I think he's talking about hell. Because that's what's at stake. If you follow the wrong teacher if the question is how can a man be right with God or which is the right road to heaven, if you don't get that right, you end up in hell. Remember Jesus said that there are two gates and two paths. One gate is small and it leads to a path that's difficult and hard but that path leads to heaven. On the other hand there's another gate that's large and wide and easy to walk through and the path to it is smooth and people go along and headlong but it leads to hell. And I think what he's saying here, there's also people claiming to be speaking for God, standing outside of those two gates with signs saying, this way to Heaven. But only one way leads to Heaven. And so you better be sure of which person you're following. Jesus is teaching His disciples the difference between godly leadership and the the hypocritical leadership of the Pharisees. He does so through this parable. But He also does so in verse 40 through the example of a pupil now a pupil is a part of your eye, but in this case it's a student. We used to use this word, I don't hear it very often. Teachers would say, pupils, open your textbooks. Look what he says, verse 40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. You're only going to go as far as your teacher has gone, is the point. A few months ago a friend of mine came by the office here and sat down and we were talking about family and he was telling me about his oldest grandson who is uh, becoming a a very uh, well-known musician and he said recently his teacher came to this young man's parents and said, you've got to take him to Dallas. You've got to get him to a better teacher because I can't take him any farther. That's the point Jesus has said. If you're following someone who is stunted in their own sanctification, And in their knowledge of the Scripture, you can only go as far as that person goes. We see this in music all the time, and in sports. But here's the Pharisees, and they're saying to the masses, follow us. And yet Jesus points out many times as recorded in the New Testament, they didn't understand the Scriptures themselves. John 5.37, and the Father himself, Jesus is speaking, which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Now how does the Father... Bear witness to Jesus, that is to His truth claims? Well, in a couple of ways. Remember when Jesus was baptized, an audible voice from Heaven said, Behold my beloved Son, and I am well pleased. But the primary vehicle through which God the Father bears witness to His Son is in this book. He has given us the Bible. He has given us dozens and even hundreds of Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. If you don't believe that, read the book of Isaiah. Read the book of Jeremiah and the New Covenant. Read the book of Micah. And in fact, the very village Jesus was to be born in was predicted in the Old Testament. And, and yet here are these people who spent their lifetimes studying the Old Testament scriptures failed to see Jesus as the promised one. Jesus says to them, You have neither heard His voice or seen His shape, and yet not His word abiding in you, for whom you, He has sent You do not believe. Now hear this, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and He says this, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they testify of Me. They are right to search the Scriptures. That is where God's will is revealed, and yet the Scriptures are screaming, it's Jesus! And they failed to believe it. And one of those Pharisees who initially failed to believe was a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, as recorded in John chapter 3, came to Jesus by night because I suspect he was embarrassed to be seen or afraid to be seen with Jesus publicly. And they had a very great conversation about salvation. And Jesus said, you must be born again. And they talked about the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. And Jesus could see Nicodemus was wide-eyed and confused. And so in verse 10 Jesus asked him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Jesus said that to Nicodemus, but He really said it to every Pharisee. You're trying to teach other people and you don't understand these basic things about salvation. And so there's the pupil. Thirdly, there's the plank. Look at verse 41. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now there's a very deep reason why I chose the word plank. It has a P in it, and the word log does not. And so I needed the word that started with P. Plank was the best thing I could come up with. <laughs> but, but last Sunday, we studied verse 37, did we? The most quoted verse in North America Judge not, lest you be judged. And we talked about the confusion surrounding that verse and how it really is dealing with our enemies. That we're not to judge them harshly. And we're certainly not to judge them hypocritically. That is, we're not to be guilty of the same sins we condemn others for. Because we know by reading the New Testament that Jesus hates hypocrisy. He condemns it roundly. In fact, verse 46 here in chapter six that we're going to study next week is really a synopsis of all Jesus' teaching about hypocrisy. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? The essence of hypocrisy is claiming to be a Christian, which means Christ-like, but not behaving that way. And so these Pharisees were condemned for their hypocrisy. They wanted everyone to believe they had it all together spiritually, and yet many of them had gross and hidden sins. Matthew twenty-three, twenty-five: Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within are full of extortion and a- excess. One of the sins that apparently many of the Pharisees were guilty of was greed, avarice. They were using their position to... Enriched themselves. In fact, Jesus called them on the fact that they devoured widows' houses. They took advantage of the less fortunate. He said, you're blind. First cleanse the inside of the cup and platter that the outside might then be clean also. I never can read that passage without a memory coming to mind. I was in fourth grade and we were attending a little Christian school. And every week we had chapel. It was about this time of the year, hot and humid and chapel was always after first recess. And uh, I suppose the speaker knew that and then the bell rings and we ran into the chapel and we were all hot and sweaty and thirsty and there on the podium, he had placed three glasses. And when everyone settled down, he reached into a cooler that he'd brought with him and started around and made that noise that something makes in a cooler and he pulls it out and it's dripping and it's got that condensation on it so you know it's cold and it was an ice-cold Pepsi-Cola. And he said, who wants to drink a Pepsi? And of course, all the kids, we, me, me. And so some lucky kid, I don't remember who, was called to the front and he opened that can and it made that <laughs> sound and, and he said, well, here. And he pours the Pepsi-Cola into a glass that even from where I was sitting, I could tell was filthy. I mean, it had food caked on it and he'd rub mud on it and it was just gross. And the kid said, no thanks. And then he said, "Well, about this glass? And he he pours about a half of that can into that second glass. And from where I was sitting it looked clean. Couldn't see a thing on the outside. But when the kid went to take a drink he said, gross. And inside it was as filthy as the other one. But then that third one you could see all the way through and it was crystal clear and it was right out of the dishwasher. And he poured that and that kid drank and was happy. We were all jealous. That is what Jesus is comparing the Pharisees to. He says, you're not that first class. See, Jesus never, as far as I could tell, had a harsh criticism against people who were just openly sinful. <laughs> Remember the, the lady caught in adultery, the woman that had been married five times, the tax collectors. He doesn't berate them. They, they know their condition. But it's those people who pretend they're okay, that they are meticulous Keepers of their own reputation. But inside their heart is dirty. They've never repented. They've never seen themselves as they really are. Jesus says you're like that glass that's clean on the outside but inside you're, you're filthy. He, he, he even takes it a step farther. He says you're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly beautiful but are within full of dead men's bone in all uncleanliness. Now the most distasteful thing a Pharisee could imagine is coming in contact with a corpse, a dead body. And so for that reason they took extra care never to come in contact with a dead body. In fact, it's still true today. I read an article this week about a Jewish man who's Orthodox and he was flying from one city in America to another. And he had plotted the course and he knew it was going to take him over several cemeteries. And even at 32,000 feet, he believed if he passed over those cemeteries in an airplane, the possibility would be that he could be ceremonially defiled. And so he got with his rabbi and they figured out a plan. He had a suit of plastic tailored for himself, and he wore it on the plane and it was proven with a picture that someone posted. Here's this man reading his Old Testament scriptures covered in plastic in an airplane. That's the way the Pharisees were. Here's what they would do. They would paint the doorways to those above ground tombs every spring so that some traveler would not stumble upon these graves and be defiled. And Jesus says, you're like those graves, Pharisees. On the outside, you're pretty and clean. But inside, just a few inches away, inside you're defiled. You're full of dead men's bones and all sorts of putrefaction. And so what Jesus counseled them to do is to be washed on the inside and then the outside will be like what is on the inside. Well here in verse 41 and 42 we have the twin brother of those analogies. He says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? Why do you notice the log that is not in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Catch the next phrase. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. He's not condemning them for trying to help them. People, the people follow the law. He's saying you're not following the law. First remove that even greater sin so that you can help those that you're supposed to be leading. Now the question then is does that mean that before us before someone can be a Christian leader in the church, either as a Sunday school teacher, deacon, or even a pastor, that they have to be sinlessly perfect. I certainly hope not because we won't have any deacons, Sunday school teachers, or pastors if that's the case. The point is that you have to view yourself the way Jesus says every sinner should view themselves spiritually poor, right? Even those that speak for God, have to recognize before they're qualified to do so, they're a sinner as well. They're in need of salvation. What did Paul call himself? The chief of what? Sinners. And so it doesn't mean that you're sinlessly perfect. It means your attitude towards your sin is you hate it. You're on a trajectory of sanctification. You're growing more and more like Christ. In other words, your walk lines up with your talk. Fourthly, Jesus uses one more thing to show the difference between His teaching and that of the Pharisees, and that is a period, punctuation mark, verse 43. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. Those are two declarative statements. And declarative statements are punctuated with Periods, right? That is, what you have said is factual. It is truthful. And what Jesus said is manifestly true. It's just common sense. For there's no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. If a fruit tree produces bad fruit, it's not a good tree, (laughs) and vice versa. And then he says, each fruit is known, each tree is known by its own fruit. Now, When our Lifeline magazine comes out next week, you're going to read a story in there about a friend of mine who lives in Northern Virginia. And a couple of years ago, this friend of mine who works for the federal government in Washington, D.C., got into horticulture in a big way. I've known this guy for 30 years. Never known him to get his hands dirty. But suddenly, he's into horticulture. And specifically, he's raising apples on his property there in Northern Virginia. And he researches apples, the way some people research their family tree. And specifically he's looking for varieties of apples that are near extinction. And when he finds some farmer, some homeowner that has one of these nearly extinct trees, he'll go to them and he'll ask for a shoot off of that tree. And he'll cut a limb, and he'll preserve it, and he'll go back to Northern Virginia and he will meticulously graft that rare tree into one of his standing apple trees. And he's beginning to reap the fruit of that. And he has apples of all sorts of varieties and shapes and textures. And he talks about them as if some people talk about their grandchildren. And it's an interesting conversation. But I, I think of that, because even though he only started studying trees about three years ago, I know him well enough to know there's some things he already knew. He knew, that if he grafted that apple tree, he wouldn't expect bananas, right? Or if he grafted from a tree that was rotten, he wouldn't expect that limb to live, right? That's what Jesus is saying. It's just a very simple analogy that you produce fruit from the tree that you are. You you know what kind of tree you have, by the fruit it produces. If a tree produces apple tree, what kind of apple is it? It's an apple tree. Well, he's talking about people claiming to be speaking for Christ. And if their life is rotten or if it's not consistent with the things they're teaching, that's going to be manifest in their fruit. And by the way, this whole month's lifeline is about spiritual fruit. You need to pick up a copy and read it. Now when Paul was training young pastors, two of which we have in the New Testament, Titus and Timothy, he would tell them that there are two primary areas of their life, that can qualify them or disqualify them as leaders. He called it their life and their doctrine. He said, watch your life and your doctrine. Your life is your orderly, habitual set of behaviors. It's the way you live life, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you think. And he says to be a Christian leader, to be one qualified to to teach others, That has to be in order. Would you agree with that? Do you want a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a pastor who's embarrassing you constantly with their sinful behavior or through their filthy mouth or through their drunkenness? I hope not. Now, on the other hand, Paul says, you also have to get your doctrine right. And so, so here's how that plays out. You can have a person who is right down the line, perfect orthodox theology, made straight A's in seminary, but if their life is a mess, they're disqualified from being a Christian leader. And then on the other hand, you can have a person who's a, a great dude. Just people love him. Far as you know, there's no unconfessed sin in his life, and he's out there teaching heresy, he's disqualified from being the leader too. Paul says it's both and, not either or. That's why he says, watch your life and your doctrine. Well, the Pharisees were over too, apparently. They were teaching things that weren't so about God, and many of them were living very sinful lives. And it's no wonder that Jesus reserved his harshest criticisms for this group. And so he just makes a declarative statement for each tree is known by its own fruit. We have adopted this sort of definite statement into our vernacular when we say things like, such and such is the truth. Period, right? Dak Prescott is the best quarterback, period. If you watched the first quarter last night, you know that's so. He is. And Jesus says, you will know a tree by its fruit, period. Now why do we spend so much time on this? Why am I so passionate about it? It's because the stakes are so high. Heaven and hell are at stake And yet many people seem to be totally undiscerning. I turn on my television and here will be 10,000 people, well-dressed, Bible in hand, taking copious notes of a pastor standing at the far end of the arena, also well-dressed, nice looking, kind, and he will be teaching the most utter nonsense you ever heard in your life. And they're shaking their head, that's right, pastor. You tell him. We need discerning people. Because he is holding up a sign saying this way to Heaven and it's not so. The essence of idolatry is teaching and believing something about God that isn't so. Would you agree with me that God hates idolatry? I think so because the first two commandments He gave to Moses had to do with it. Have no other gods before me and don't make any graven images. We tend to think of idolatry as going out in the jungle and carving down a teak tree and carving a little figurine and praying to it. That is a form of idolatry. But the essence of idolatry is teaching and believing things about the true God that ain't so. So we need to know what is so. We need to be discerning. You cannot be discerning if you don't know your Bible. If you are biblically illiterate... You are at the mercy of every wolf in sheep's clothing out there. And they are everywhere. I'm not making fun of people who can't read or write. But did you know that in this country, we used to, we used to teach children in public school to read and write so that they could read their Bible? In fact, we taught them to read with the Bible. And that day's long gone, as you know. One of the reasons that our culture is in chaos is the biblical illiteracy we see everywhere. That's tragic enough, but the real tragedy, in my opinion, is that so many churches and so many pastors have taken a survey of the culture and come to the conclusion that if you can't beat them, join them. And so they've stopped teaching hard truth. And they ask people, what do you want to hear? And when they tell them, they give it to them. And listen, dear friend, don't you believe it. Don't you buy it. If your Sunday school teacher or your pastor teaches a message, you go home and you open your Bible and you compare what has been said to the Word of God, and if they don't line up you get a new pastor, or a new church. And I mean that very seriously. Heaven and hell are at stake. The church's health is at stake. The the church is nothing more or less than the collection of individual Christians, and if individual Christians are following the wrong leaders and believing the wrong things about God, that church ultimately is going to follow and teach the wrong things about God. But but here's the real issue. God's glory and good name is at stake. Do you know why God hates idolatry? Specifically, do you know why God forbade His people from creating a statue to represent Him? Because no matter who made it, They could get Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, all the great masters. They could have the most wonderful representation in oil painting or solid granite and they all would have one thing in common. They would all fall, fall short of God's true glory. So he says, don't even try. God is spirit. And those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God in His infinite wisdom has chosen to reveal who He is and what He expects from you in this Word. And if your Bible lays on your shelf from week to week, you're going to starve to death spiritually. And you're going to be weak. And you're going to be easy prey for false teachers. And they want to do nothing more than separate you from your money. And they're holding up a sign that says, This way to heaven. But it's not so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for your word and and father sometimes I must confess when Jesus is berating the Pharisees it makes me uncomfortable he seems to be relentless in his criticism of them but what we've seen today the reason why is they're leading people to hell father give us discernment in this church help us to recognize truth from error Lord, we can't do that unless we're familiar with our Bible Because in the Bible, you tell us who you are and what you're like and what you expect. And most importantly, you tell us how to get to heaven. Father, I pray that we'd always hold high the true word of God here in our Sunday school classes, in our small groups, our men's and women's Bible studies, even in our children's area, Lord, especially our children's area. Father, we sent children off to school this week and college students and Four days in, they're already being confronted with error presented as truth. Lord, give them discernment, I pray. Help them to remember the things they were taught here. Father, I pray for adults as well because we have more information today than we've ever had access to. Very little of it truthful. And so, Father, it's as important as ever, maybe more so, that we be discerning Lord, we can't do that in our own strength. We need to submit to your spirit because he leads us into all truth. Lord, we pray that every member of our church would submit to the spirit in every regard this week so that our church may be healthy and able to give a clear message of the gospel in this community. Use us, Lord, we pray for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast.